So again, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. If you have followed along, you notice that we've been, I've been going through uh, the book of Colossians uh, during the sermons, and so we're going to finish it up today. I will say that uh, I wasn't, uh, I didn't realize uh, Matt was going to uh, finish up Ephesians 6, and uh, he a lot of what we see in Ephesians six is very similar to what we see towards uh, uh, towards uh, what the beginning of Colossians four, and um, so some of this will ought to be right uh, in the forefront of your mind. Uh, but I hope that you also will find some things that are useful uh, for us um, during this time here. All right. And so Colossians 4, and I want to, to, to briefly look back at verses 18 through 25 in chapter 3, that we see all these uh, different individuals, different groups uh, within the church, and we have wives and husbands, we have children and parents, we have bond servants and masters, all right? And we'll, of course, we'll talk about masters in chapter 4, but what we see here is their roles, you know, some obligations, some uh, some duties that each uh, individual has. But what we see is that really there's none, none of these are just, you know, lording over that they're just, you know, uh, just have full, complete, uh, you know, authority, can do whatever they want to uh, against them, uh, like with, for example, with the wives and husbands, all right? So wives submit to your husbands, but we see duties for the husbands. This is not some lording over relationship. Same thing with the children and parents. Children, obey your parents. And specifically, he says, fathers, don't provoke your children here. And then towards the end of, of chapter 3, we see bond servants and what uh, their duties are. Verses 23 through 25 says, Bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Seems as you know, especially in this country, that we know the history of this country with slavery, and this is a particular sensitive subject. And we see in the Old Testament there were still, you know, there were commands on how they were to be treating uh, their slaves. Um, a lot of times we would see a situation more like an indentured servanthood, and we also see instruction in the Old Testament where. If their servant, their slave, if they wanted to stay with their masters, they could. And there were instructions on how to deal with that. And you think about that for a minute. At least in my mind, you would have to be treated pretty good by your master to be like, you know what, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with these with these individuals. Because if you're anything like me, once my time was up, I want to go and want to do my own thing. All right. And so we see situations where... It can be very favorable for the bond servants, but I think what we see in, throughout history is that's a very min, just a very minute uh, you know part of the total population of slaves throughout history. And so what we can see here is that it would be very difficult as a slave to do these things, right? 
we looked at First Peter two, and what in, in, in at the nine o'clock, and you see that basically it's it's kind of implied that these slaves will be receiving some type of unjust treatment uh, from their masters, but you endure it, all right? And so we look at this, and, and again, I think we, we can apply this to more of an employee-employee your relationship today, but for the bond terms, for the slaves of that time, this would be very difficult. Uh, but we see that they were going to be doing these things not to man, but as to the Lord, all right, knowing that you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. So the slave is going to be repaid if he does wrong, but also the master is going to be repaid. So even if you suffer unjustly, everything is going to be settled. Maybe not in this life, but everything is going to be settled, and justice is going to be meted out. Which brings us to uh, chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Interesting enough, and I think if anybody kind of does any reading on slavery or during the Civil War or this discussion before the Civil War, that a lot of people justified them having their slaves in that whole slave system by looking at maybe what we just read in Colossians 3, also in Ephesians 6, 5, saying, hey, you slaves, you need to submit to me, all right? Interesting enough, not a lot of talk about this verse here, all right? And so he says, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Ephesians 6, and verse 9 says, and you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So what we see here is that when we, when Paul is saying you give them what is just and fair, you do the same things to them, you, you, do the, you treat your slaves right, what we see here is these slaves are not just pieces of farm equipment. These are human beings, these are people, and you need to treat them as such. And just like you would treat your family justly and fairly, whether you would treat just a regular employee justly and fairly, you would treat your slaves justly and fairly as well. Cato, he's some Roman statesman. This is what he had to say during this time about slaves. He says, old slaves should be thrown on the dump, and when a slave is ill, do not feed him anything. It is not worth your money. Take six slaves and throw them away because they are nothing but inefficient tools. Right, and so that I mean that 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 mindset continued on uh, for a long time, and they just viewed them as just just a piece of equipment. And when they're done, you know, maybe like a, a horse or a cow. And when when they're sick and whatever, they're no longer worth anything to you. You just toss them. Right, you're you're done with them. Right, throw them away because they're nothing but inefficient tools. All right, and so we see that. And if these same individuals that might would use Ephesians six five that you know justify their slaves and probably a lot of times justify their cruelty towards slaves, following what Paul also said in Colossians four and verse one or Ephesians six nine, what you would see would you would see a very different uh, situation, especially in this country. And I'm not going to say that it would totally that slavery would never would exist in this country. But that whole situation would have been very, very different 
uh, from what we see uh, in history. Uh, Philemon, verses 15 through 16, remember Philemon, and then we had, he had a slave by the name of Onesimus, which we'll get to later on in this chapter as well. Notice what Paul says about Onesimus. He says, For perhaps he departed a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, Paul says, don't treat him no, treat him no longer as a slave, but as beloved brother. He's now brethren, and you treat him as such. He's not just some lowly slave, which is just, you know, just for your own use, for your own, for your own good. He is now your brother, and you treat him as such. Moving on to verse 2. It says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And so we see, and we see passages that talks about us to continue in praying, uh, you know, pray without ceasing. But I want to look at a few verses that would kind of, kind of indicates what Paul or others would be praying about. And what we see in Colossians 1 and verse 3, uh, that they are praying for others, and really they're praying for brethren. Uh, Colossians 1 and verse 3, it says, We give thanks to the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. In verse 9 of the same chapter, it says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So they're praying for them because they heard of their faith. And then they're also praying that they will continue, that they will grow in their knowledge and be filled uh, with this wisdom and spiritual understanding. Also in chapter 4, in verse 3, it says, uh, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. So Paul and the others were speaking or they were praying uh, for the Colossians, and the Colossians should be praying for them. And we see that they are praying, should be praying that a door would be open uh, for Paul. And then also in verse 12 of the same chapter, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant to Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So they're praying for the brothers. They're praying that they will, you know, they will continue in the faith, but they will also grow in the faith. So that, you know, the, and we'll also see that they're um, praying uh, for them for their growth, but also that the word can be spread to others that are around them. All right, and so let's turn to James chapter one. James chapter one. So they're praying for others, and I think we all recognize that when we pray, we have to pray with a right heart. In James chapter 1 and verses 5 through 8, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You think about that for a minute. So he's, he's telling them, when you pray, 
you pray in faith. What you're asking for uh, can be granted. And that, you know, you think about that for a minute. It's it's kind of silly to, to pray and just, well, I don't, I don't really think he's going to do this, or I'm not praying in faith, but I, I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway. This just really does not make a whole lot of sense, and apparently people were doing this. But when we ask, when we pray, all right, let him ask in faith with no doubting, knowing that God can answer that uh, that uh, that prayer, and knowing that God, when when you ask for, for example, in verse five, wisdom, we know that God can give that to us. It may require work on our part, but He can answer that prayer. So we uh, we uh, we pray uh, with faith. We're praying for others. And also, he says, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. The New American Standard will use a phrase like with an attitude of thanksgiving. And you look throughout the New Testament, and I didn't do a search or whatever, but you will see a lot of passages that talk about thanksgiving, being thankful, being grateful. Uh, if you remember in Romans 1, we talked about also in, in, in the 9 a.m., I believe it's verse 26, Romans 1... Go back there. Romans 1, and it's 20, 21. So Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 21, it says, uh, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile, and their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. So they weren't thankful and we see what kind of ties into that, that they just, it says that they their hearts were darkened. When you go and read on, it says that God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their heart. They just did whatever they wanted to. When they weren't thankful, when they gave up, they denied God. They just succumbed to every lust, every desire uh, that they might want. And this Thanksgiving, you know, with this attitude of thanksgiving, kind of guards our hearts from that mindset of just serving self, serving our own desires. Going back to James in chapter 4, James chapter 4, and in verse 3, it says, You ask and do not receive, because you ask amiss, that you may splend it. Spend it on your pleasures. All right, and so we know where John talks about it. We ask anything according to His will. He hears us, and we get this picture, right? That if we're just asking for something, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I want a million dollars, or I want this house, or I want this fancy car, right? Just for me, right? Just because that's what I want, you will not receive that. And this was a problem with the folks that James were writing to. They weren't, they didn't have this thankful heart. It was a selfish, self-centered heart. And we see the consequences of that. Uh, let's go back to uh, Philippians. Philippians uh, chapter 4. Philippians 4 and verses 4 uh, through 6. Rather, let's start in let's start in verse six. Philippians chapter four, verse six. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Again, 
anxious for nothing. You pray and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You let your request be known to God. All right? And so what is the result of that? We've let these requests be known. We know God's here. Just We know God's going to be with us. And because of that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, says will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. All right? So again, going back to Colossians 4, it tells them to continue in prayer. Do it always, but also with a proper attitude. You're being vigilant in it. You're doing it uh, seriously, soberly, but also with an attitude of thanksgiving. Verses 3 and 4 says, Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, Meanwhile, pray also for us that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I might, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Interesting enough with Paul that, so it's evident that he's in a prison right now, and I mean, that, that would be if, if he just decided that, um, you know what, I'm going to, I'm, you know, this is it for me. I'm done, right? Uh, there's not a lot of people that would blame him uh, for that. I mean, it's I mean the situation that he's in. You know, my you know I you know I can't do anything. I'm in prison. There's just nothing left for me to do. But we see where Paul is still busy about his work, even under the most dire consequences. That he wants he wants them to pray for them, so that God would open to us a door for the word. Perhaps he can be effective. While he's in prison to those that are around him, um, maybe also that he might could be free. And that would mean that he could continue his work uh, throughout uh, that area. But he wants them to open a door to the Word to speak the mystery of Christ. We talked about that, I think, frequently lately, the idea of this mystery of Christ, that this is this salvation, this eternal plan that has been given, uh, that has been planned throughout time, that has uh, been revealed. And we see here that he's in prison for that. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. And he says that I might, that I may make it manifest. All right. And that word manifest. Every time I hear that word, there's a there's a there's a movie that I think about. Is the truck driver gets pulled over by a cop, and the cop tells him to present your manifest. All right. And your manifest, your truck manifest, is basically a description of the load and everything that you're carrying, all right? So it makes it very apparent, obvious what you're doing. Uh, if you're crossing borders, you would need that manifest. And so that kind of gives us an idea of what that word means, that you're making it obvious, you're making it apparent, and you're spreading it to those that are around him, that it's just very clear uh, to all uh, who may listen. And so he's wanting to continue uh, that work, and he's continuing his work right now. Even while in prison, he's writing this, these letters uh, to these churches so that they can be edified. And so there's no really no quit in Paul. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, it says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. So Paul is recounting this time he's in Asia that they thought they were going to die. Like this is this we're done. All right, this is over with. Now, we're going to be killed uh, for this. 
But we see that if you kept on reading Second Corinthians 1, that he will say that God delivered us uh, from death. And what did he do? He kept on going about his work. And, and you see, this is, it's interesting like in Acts where you see all the things that he's doing that something happens and, you know, there's some riot or people are after him to kill him and then he gets out. He just keeps on. I mean, there's just, well, it doesn't really seem to phase him any, right? And so he's just, he just always busy about his work. So we need to have that same attitude as, as Paul is that, you know, really regardless of what's going to happen with us or what's, you know, what's going on in the world, that we continue to be effective in our work and continue uh, to spread the word. Verses 5 through 6 of Colossians 4, it says, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. It says, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. He's just telling them, Make the most of your time. You're buying back this time. And so, you know, I think about how Paul... Uh, if he went to a certain town, you know, there's some culture or there's some, you know, maybe there's some god or idol that they're that they're worshiping. He will use that to, you know, bring forth the gospel. He will tie in whatever, you know, whatever is known or is, is you know, uh, commonplace in their culture. And he ties it in uh, to the gospel. And, uh, you know, going back to, you know, uh, our situation I think we all recognize this, that we may talk differently to other individuals. Um, you know, I'm not going to talk the same to a 30-year-old as I will a five-year-old. Or, you know, maybe my boss versus a friend, all right? There's differences in how we interact with these individuals. And so this is really what I think what Paul is trying to say here as well with this idea of let your speech always be with grace, season when saw that you may know how you ought to answer one another that you're saying the things that would be most edifying to those that are around you at the same time. And so we see in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, I think we all know this, that we ought to always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you. And we know, right, we ought to be able to understand what we believe, but also when we tie that in in Verses 5 and 6, we see that we also not just have knowledge, but know how to explain it effectively. And sometimes, just being very blunt, just laying it out there, is probably is, is the best thing to do. But again, there are certain situations we may just might want to think just a little bit of how we answer an individual. Matthew 10 and verse 16, this is when Jesus was sending out the disciples. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. All right. So, obviously, you don't, you don't cause any harm. You don't, you know, you don't, you're not engaging in any type of harmful activity, criminal activity. But you're going to be wise as serpents. You use your head when you're going out and about with these individuals. You're in the midst of of wolves here. You're in enemy territory, uh, so to speak, all right? And so, again, you think about what you're doing. You think about what you're saying. 
how is this the most of you know how am I making the most of my time in my day to day life if I'm you know, maybe interacting with somebody for maybe just a split second during the day am I trying to make the most out of that time maybe saying things that would uh, maybe spark some type of spiritual thought or maybe some type of, of, of spiritual discussion or it's just kind of just a light and airy conversation maybe a little you know you know maybe I'll talk gossip with my employees or employers, but I won't talk about the gospel or anything of that nature. And we are not doing the most of our, with our time, if that is our attitude. That is what we do on a, base, on a day-to-day basis. Right? Verses 7 through 9. So, after verse 6, we really kind of see Paul's concluding remarks. All right, that there's just he's he's mentioning a lot of individuals and he's kind of wrapping up this letter. And in verses seven and nine, he says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. Notice what how Titus is, is described. He's a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant of the Lord, and he's coming to tell them what's happening to Paul. All right, telling him all the news about me. But also we see that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. He's coming to tell them the news, but also to encourage them. Uh, you know, I, you know when I when I read that, you think about Philippians one and verses twelve through fourteen. It says, "But I, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear." So. You just you know you read what is what is said in Colossians and, and of course I think well he's going to be telling them he's in prison you know bad things have happened to Paul and you think how how are they going to be encouraged how are they going to be comforted at all knowing that Paul is 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 suffering this but when you look at what is said in Philippians one of, of how when these individuals hear about what is going on with Paul. It says they become confident by my chains. It's, I mean, it almost seems like, you know, you see these individuals uh, throughout time that you know they're suffering, and then they just basically tell the people that are torturing them that, you know, bring it on. You know, I ain't worried about it. And you can see the kind of reaction that that might bring. You know, people be, you know, if you're if you're following that individual, you'll be kind of fired up by that. I mean, like they're telling them. I ain't worried about it. I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing. And so you can see that rather than being discouraged, they can be encouraged. They can become confident about what is happening with Paul. But we also see what Onesimus, and and we talked about this briefly before, but Onesimus here, that is Philemon's slave. Um, I would assume that is uh, the same Onesimus. But He's going to back to Colossae, 
Notice what he is, he is described as. He's not described as a slave. He's not described as a bondservant. He's described as a faithful and beloved brother. All right? Who is one of you? So again, that whole master-bond-servant relationship has kind of been done away with here. All right? He's not to be seen as a, as a slave, but more than a slave, as a brother. All right? And so... They're coming to them, and they're going to make all things known to them which are happening here uh, with Paul in the prison. Moving on to verses 10 through 15, it says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you receive instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician at Demas, greets you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. So just, you know, again, wrapping up some things that are just not... I mean, there's not a whole lot of uh, things we can glean from this, but I want to, you know, pay attention to Epaphras again of what he is doing, right? He's laboring fervently uh, for them in his prayers. He wants them to do right, to continue in the will of God, to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And you just see the, the great care and love that Epaphras has for them, for you know, that, that Paul has you know, that all of these individuals that are surrounding Paul seem to have as well. And then, you know, not only just for them, but also for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. All right? We were kind of breeze through that. But verses 16 through 18, it says, Now this epistle is read among you. See that it is also read also in the church of Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, I say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Uh, we talked about this last Sunday, that we see these epistles being written, right? And they're being, you know, basically delivered back and forth between churches, all right? So we see that when this epistle is read... Make sure the Laodiceans read it, and vice versa. You likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. We don't have this epistle from Laodicea. Some argue that that epistle may very well be Ephesians, but from what I gather, it's one of those arguments that there's not a lot of evidence for it, but also not a lot of evidence against it. All right, But we do see where there are some similarities with the Ephesians, which if you're paying attention in the 9 o'clock class, it's, it's very clear there. All right, And so these letters were being written, they were being distributed, they were being passed around. And it was, you know, really, when we get down to the 2nd, 3rd century, these letters are very well known. All right? There are copies that have been made, and people just assume that they're authoritative, that those things are the words of the Lord. And then he says to Archippus, he says, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, and that you may fulfill it. I don't know what this ministry is, but apparently 
it kind of it kind of reads like he might be slacking a little bit and you know do your work all right and so you know all of us have our own work uh you know we we have different works but we all have something to do uh for the body for the kingdom all right and so we all fulfill it whatever however little it may be or however uh it may seem like it's you know you may think well what i'm doing is not effective and nobody's paying attention nobody knows about it well god knows about it and so again we all have a part to play and we need to fulfill whatever work that we have and so that kind of ends up what i want to talk about uh, in colossians 4 but again we all have a work um, I, I don't know if ministry is the right word, but we all have a we all have a work uh, to fulfill, and uh, we have to ask ourselves: Are we doing that? Are we doing the most that we can do? Are we being most the, as effective as we can be, not only in service here but out into the world? And uh, if you're not a Christian, well, you you can't fulfill that work. You can't fulfill that ministry if you're not a Christian. If you're not a part of the body of Christ. And so if you want to become a Christian, certainly love to discuss those things with you, get those things um, uh, dealt with. And also if you're a Christian and you, um, you know, maybe, maybe you're like Archippus, maybe. Uh, you're, maybe you're slacking a little bit. Maybe you're not doing all that you're supposed to do. Uh, you know, we would certainly uh, like to help you, like to pray with you about those things, like to encourage you uh, in that work. And if there's any uh, other reason uh, that one may have, uh, please come forth as we stand to sing uh, the song that's been selected. Have thine own way.